0: Return to Dallas, by Robert P. Fitton. Return to Dallas, Chapter 6, Private Reception Area, Los Angeles Dodges, Los Angeles, California, Wednesday, July 24th, 1963, 7:11 p.m. Patch leaned against the glass. Besides seeing the playing field from high above the stadium, buildings of Los Angeles pointed upward toward the tapering plane. Sherry held a sombrero mixed by the bartender. Patches' golden beer bubbled in a glass on the side table. A diverse group of characters formed the crux of a loud jazz-induced party. The Dodgers players marched in together as if they were part of a stage performance. Woman in low-cut tight dresses bounced around like errant pinballs in a fixed game. An unkempt large man with rounded eyes and a tan suit with a drinker's nose spun a handgun on a piece of yellow bond paper. He laughed as the crowd backed away and the gun pointed at Rosselli. Serious-faced Rosselli picked up the gun and tossed it to the man. Then he crumpled the paper and placed it on the waiter's silver tray. Put it away, Bill. Then he mixed with the party guests, shaking hands as he worked the crowd like a politician. Somebody brought a vodka over ice to him. He spoke with the drink in his left hand as he jested with the other hand. Bill stared at Patch for the longest time as he secured his gun in a holster strap till a woman in a red satin dress brought him a drink. "'Double martini,' she said, but the glass was already at his lips. Double martini." Roselli stepped up to Patch and Sherry don't worry about Bill. Bill swaggered near Rosselli. Time for dinner, my friend. Perinos answered Rosselli in a lower voice. Then what, John? Then we meet Friedman at the Friars Club. Bill nodded and wandered back into the crowd. Was that gun loaded? asked Sherry incredulously. He always carries a thirty-eight detective special. Fully loaded. Then he put his hand on Patch's shoulders. I just bet the people in the Dodgers organization, Massey's men, that I would sit in the regular seats just like any other fan. I'll donate it to one of their charities. Maybe they'll take your picture, said Patch. Rosselli's face flattened like a newly pressed coin at the stamping machine. No photos, Patch. Ever. Yes, sir. Anyway, I'm in the left field grandstands for Koufax's game tomorrow. Patch thought about the photo, shot long distance, still folded in his pocket. We were up there today. Right. Look, Patch, I just had a conversation here and on the phone. People you know send their warmest regards. Listen, I have something in mind for you. Really. Rosselli put his arm fully around Patch and escorted him along the window. You know, young man, there comes a time, as you know very well, when your country needs you. Last fall, the Russians almost brought us to the brink in Cuba. They want to take us over, Patch. That would not be good. See? You know what I mean. And I'm sure your new girl there knows, too. Sure. The parties to be, my friend, want you for an assignment. You mean work for you? No, not for me. A word to the wise. Stay away from Phillips, Hunt, and the Intelligence Boys. I'll let you know which individuals you can trust. If this works out, you'll be well taken care of. Bill moved with a certain swagger and transported a new drink out of the room. Patch looked back at Rosselli. Thank you. No, thank you. You'll have a main contact. Rosselli took a sip of the vodka and then the ice rattled in the glass. They'll pay you 2000 if this goes forward. 2000 You do what your contact says. This is on a need-to-know basis. Again. Don't talk to any government types. Don't ask any questions. Be as discreet and as ballsy as you've been in the past, and you'll have a nice little cash for you and your girl. He leaned toward Patch. Patch, you look older. I've been through a lot. Sure, prison will do that to you. Louis McWillie is the pit boss at the Thunderbird in Vegas. You drive to the Thunderbird tomorrow. After 10 p.m. tomorrow, specifically ask for McWillie. Tell them Johnny sent you. Your first contact is already in Vegas as we speak. Mr. Rosselli, I don't know what to say. How about yes? Sure, I mean yes. Here's what you need to do first. I want you to head out to the Santa Anita racetrack in Arcadia tonight. You'll need to be at window four at 9.30 p.m. My friend Walter the Knife will be there. Just don't call him Walter the Knife to his face. What do I call him? you call him Mr. Piscotti or Walter? Patch nodded. He has a manila envelope for you. Two grand will get you going, Patch. We owe you more than that, believe me, after what you did. Walter will give you my private number. If anybody tries to muscle you, you get in touch with me right away and we'll take care of the problem. I mean it. He handed Patch a card. Thank you. Everyone likes you and has confidence in your abilities, Patch. Do a good job. I will. I know you will. I know you can carry the load. Good luck." Rosselli's eyes brightened as he squeezed Patch's hand. Then he went over to Sherry and shook her hand. He exchanged a few niceties and then left the suite. Patch held the card as he looked into her dark eyes. I'm heading to the racetrack and then to Vegas. She pursed her lips. Rosselli told me they had 2,000 waiting for me at the racetrack and more to come. What did you do? kill somebody? Apparently I did something for him and his friends in the past. So I guess I'm going to pay you back, Miss Thomas. I guess so. And you should head back to Spokane. How will you get to Vegas? Bus? Plane? I have to meet this McWilliam at the Thunderbird in Vegas. He reached the outside lobby doors. Look, Patch, I can bring you to Vegas. It's on the way and I can head north after that. You want my opinion, he asked with a smile mixed with uncertainty. Her eyes moistened. What's your opinion? This is really dangerous stuff. They're paying me all this money, and I have no idea why we'll get a hotel somewhere on the way to vegas and then you can head back to spokane santa anita racetrack arcadia california july twenty fourth nineteen sixty three ten twenty two p m She held his hand at the fence surrounding a fountain. A huge green pavilion, lengthy and several stories high, was highlighted by powerful spotlights. The flags along the roof blended into the night. He repeatedly checked the parking lot, even though he knew Moon could never know his whereabouts. A variety of casually dressed people darted around the noise-filled park. Aromas of food and cigarette smoke drifted into the lot as they walked toward the entrance. As they entered the grandstand, the race board's white digits blazed across the dirt track. He checked his watch. We still have a few minutes before we meet Walter the Knife, she said. Oh, just don't call him Walter the Knife. Who, me? She smiled as they moved along with the animated crowd, but they did not sit down. He picked up the gold-framed Santa Anita program. On the cover was a man standing next to a horse in a fox hunt. Official program. You better wait till you get your 2,000 before you play the ponies. Patch grinned and looked at his watch again. Let's head down to the windows in Mr. Piscotti. A few minutes later, a short man with receding dark hair and black glasses stood near the fourth window. He wore a pinstripe, double-breasted navy suit and a red silk tie. When he spotted them, he motioned them with his head. Then he actually exited the pavilion. Walter the Knife waddled over to a magnificent shiny new black Cadillac and got inside. The side door opened and Sherry slid across the smooth leather ahead of Patch. The car had chrome molding and an elegant flare inside. Walter the Knight shook hands with Patch. He had a slight Italian accent. Walter Piscotti, pleased to meet you both. He reached into his back pocket and removed a bankroll of bills the size of a softball. A wood-handled revolver sat in a brown leather holster inside his open suit coat. One by one, he unfolded 20 $100 bills. He put the roll back in his pocket and fanned the 2000 Then he slapped it into Patch's hands. Thank you. You know, I never had good luck at the track on a Wednesday or a Tuesday or Monday. I can make the money, but I can spend it too. Yes, sir. You and your lady, you have a good time. Place a bet for me in Vegas. I will, mister Piscotti. Johnny's uh other number nine one three one nine one five. You got that? Sherry finished writing on an envelope from her leather bag. Got it. Don't got it. Memorize it, he said, taking the envelope. I have it, said Patch. The man with a golden memory, added Sherry. Patch squinted at her, but a slight smile moved up his face. I'm a gonna try one more race. What do you think? He asked Sherry, squeezing her wrist. Sounds good to me, I hope you win. I never win. Walter the knife again laughed heartily and opened the driver's door. Patch exited with Sherry out the side door. Walter the knife raised his index finger. He likes you. Oh he does, does he? Walter the knife lightly tapped Patch's neck as he nodded. You treat her good. He shook Patch's hand again. And then they headed along the fountain back toward the entrance. Did you see that bankroll patch? He held up the hundred dollar bills. Chump change for Walt of the knife. They backtrack across the lot to the Impala. I don't have in the bank what he carries in his pocket. man sounded as if we were going to get married. Slight problem, sweetness. What's that? I am married. Return to Dallas, Chapter 7. Inland Motel, San Bernardino, California, Thursday, July 25th, 1963, one a.m. The dream repeated. Up ahead, on the roadway, a dark car with several people inside accelerated toward the horizon. Hatch ran at full speed, but he eventually slowed when the car blended into the gathering storm clouds. Gunshots popped from many directions, and then he woke up. He wiped the sweat off his forehead with a tissue from the bedside table. His heart continued to race. The drive from Oregon left him fatigued, yet the fright of the gunshots now kept him awake. He retrieved his pants off the chair and threw on the jacket he had bought along the way. With great dexterity, he opened the door slider so slowly as to not wake Sherry in the next room. When he stepped into the cooler balcony air. He saw three men standing next to a white station wagon, partially covered by parking lot bushes. He saw her sitting alone on the wooden porch swing about 50 feet away. She had her legs crossed in Indian style and gently swayed with the night breeze. He walked deliberately, banging his bare feet on the redwood slats. In the yellow balcony light, she slowly looked up as he approached. Dried tears bordered her puffy eyes. Patch... I didn't know you had left your room. Are you all right? She wiped her eyes and looked over the lights across the sloping countryside. What brings you out here this time of night? I couldn't sleep. She nodded I know what you mean. Several crumpled, juicy fruit wrappers had fallen through the redwood slats. He was not sure what happened to the gum. You'd think people would shut off lights by now. Sometimes I think the whole world never shuts down. It's all in your head. He sat next to her toes on her right foot, pressed against his leg. Think about it. The world goes on, whether we want it to or not. Even when we're dead, we're not even a blip. Just another day or night, another mile on the highway. God, with that slant on it, I don't feel too bad now. What's the matter? Oh, Patch, you, you really don't want to know. How do you know that? She looked at him in the indirect light and smiled. Maybe I don't. You want your gas money, but are afraid to ask. Not even close. Her face contorted into a massive pout for just a second. Then she turned to him. You ever hear of Ricky Blaze? Can't say that I have, but then again, my memory banks ain't what they used to be. She nodded in big nods. The swing started moving again. Well, Patch, my friend, Ricky Blaze is somewhere around Chicago and is probably going strong. Ricky Blaze is like one of those big 18-wheelers you see pass by on the state highway. Nobody sees anything from inside the cab, but if you're some critter crossing the road or even a little caterpillar, you know when the 18-wheelers run you down. What's his claim to fame? Oh, he certainly has a claim to fame. She swatted her hand through the night air. Ah, you don't want to hear this. Patch reached over and cupped his hand under her chin. Some of the tears had not dried. If I didn't want to hear it I wouldn't be sitting out here after midnight. Her lips slowly spread with a smile that had neither happiness nor joy, more to a comfort as if she needed to tell the story. August 1961. Started out drizzly and they threatened to close down the annual picnic in the park. I wish they had. She looked forward across the spread of lights. My friend Vivian and I, wouldn't you know we went there to, you know, see the selection you mean pick up guys okay she said raising her right hand I plead guilty your honor somebody you knew never met him never saw him before that night the poster read Ricky blaze and the Hornets on stage one day only rock and roll in the tradition of Buddy Holly and Jerry Lee you fell for a rock and roller yes sir Ricky vitalis thats what they called him or the blazer He had, or I should say does have, a tremendously smooth voice. The reference to Holly on the poster was pretty accurate. So he ran up on stage and, right, she said with a half smile. Vivian and I watched the show just like everyone else. Then he looked down at me. You know how they look down at all the women while they're performing? Right. The show ended and we went over with people we knew in town. I actually was munching on a hot dog and talking with some of my students. Ricky walked by near the tables. He does a double take and then winks at me. That's original. I saw him about an hour later when this Negro group called the auditions were on stage. Nice slow stuff. Ricky bumps into me and asks me to dance. I, of course, am totally flattered. This man, I have to say, swept me off my feet. How did that happen? I'm still trying to figure that out. I know I was 28 years old and hadn't married not that i didn't have the opportunity i date pretty regularly but this guy was cool very very well spoken he said he went to law school which was a lie he said he had never been married which was a lie he left high school in his junior year he had been in six bands he smoked marijuana and always had a can of beer in his hand sherry he said putting his hand on her wrist you're a bright girl bright has nothing to do with it guess not it's me patch me, who broke out and allowed this guy to let me break out. Did I need to break out? I'm beginning to think not. That's my problem as I see it. Let somebody else take the responsibility for leading me down the primrose path. Patch looked out over the lights again, so what happened? I should have left Spokane when I found Mr. Fork-Tongue in bed with two cuties at the Portland show. See, I wasn't gonna be there, but I got another teacher to cover for me on a weekend chaperone trip. I showed up at his hotel room. He's right in the middle of, you found out. It hurt, but now you've gotta get out of whatever mess you got yourself into. Oh, well, I got out, but not after a year and a half of drunken reefer parties, hints of other women coming up and putting their paws all over Ricky. She pinched the bridge of her nose and started crying again. Sorry, I didn't mean to dredge all this up. Her eyes washed away the spontaneity. Aren't you going to ask why I married him? Hey, because we're all so boozed up, Patch. I didn't know till the next morning. It was like waking up with a 300-pound weight all around you. What a screw-up. He wiped the tears from her cheeks with his fingers. She slid her shoulder against his shoulder and just held his hand. Then he finally spoke up. What is it you really want to do with your life, Sherry? Her voice had melded into a squeaky weakness of the woman he had met at the theater. It's all right there, Patch. Go forward with what I want because it's what I want. Take responsibility for it. Oh, I put on a good front. You mean teaching? Well, that's one thing. Sure, my parents were teachers. I'm a teacher. Not that I don't like to teach. Her voice trailed off and soon her eyelids drooped. Leaning against his shoulder, she fell into a deeper sleep. The men in the white car near the bushes had left. With his left hand, Patch slid the blanket across the swing. He tucked it securely around her, letting her remain against his shoulder. Then he brought his other arm around her and closed his eyes. Inland Motel, San Bernardino, California. Thursday, July 25, 1963. 6.35 a.m. At first, he didn't know where he was. The sun's rays pried open his eyes. Warm brightness obliterated everything else. He made his hand into a visor, and the three-way conveyor belt of cars and trucks, mostly in a westward direction, came into a shaded view. A combined low-pitch hum was detectable in the valley. Sherry's auburn hair, highlighted red in the sunshine, cascaded over the wool blanket and onto his bare arm. Her tranquil expression reassured him as she slept. Her smooth white teeth and enthusiastic brown eyes made him question whether she had remembered her midnight confession. And she evidenced no qualms about lying on a porch swing with him as day broke over Los Angeles. Hi. She pulled back the blanket and stretched her arms upward. How far is it to Vegas? Well, I figure a little over three hours. She stood in her khaki shorts and top. Patch no longer saw the hurt schoolteacher jilted by the rock and roll singer. She had long legs and a perfect torso. So what do you think? Uh, about what? The whole thing. The money, Rosselli, the job they want you to do. The question is, where was Moon chasing me from? There must have been a time lapse. I must have gone out and ended up next to the river. But if somebody threw you down there, Patch, you would have been bruised. Patch nodded. And who is Moon? Her brown eyes glowed in the morning light. Talk of the president stirs up something inside of you. And Cuba, maybe I am government. If I did something for Rosselli and his friends, his friends are alive because of me. Your mission. Right, last night. They both turned toward the freeway traffic in the morning sunlight. The limo dream. Figures inside the car. I heard gunfire in my dream from all sides. Then I awoke. That's weird, Patch. What about the park? The table where you worked? Patch shook his head and held her. I just don't know. It'll all come to you, Patch. She remained nestled in his arms. This whole thing. The money. Rosselli the job they want you to do. Tonight, we'll find out what this is all about when we get to Vegas. Complete audiobook of Return to Dallas is available at audible.com.